Kaf Gimel Tevet, Tavshinayin Tet, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Yakov Shweki, A3 Code, opens things up here on this week's live edition of the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We are here each and every Monday immediately following JM in the AM. 9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. is the time around the world. Whatever time it is, wherever you are, that is the time that we are on. Note it, write it down so you'll know when to listen to us, for us, I should say. And it's great to have you all aboard. You can listen to us uh, on archives or tell your friends. Let's say they missed a show. Or let's say they don't know about the show. Tell them. This is a great show and you can listen to it whenever you want, on demand. By the Nachum Siegel Network app. Which is available for free or or at NachumSiegel.com on the archive segment. There you go. That's what I need to tell you and uh, impress upon you. We have an amazing show coming up. Elections in Israel, I'm telling you. (laughs) The show almost writes itself. Um, Well, I should say it writes itself, but it gives me uh, many topics to discuss without having to look for anything, even though there's always stuff to talk about. Um, we will discuss the big shake-up, the bombshell, the mapats, as they say in Israel, the bombshell of the uh, of the last week on Motzei Shabbat, the leadership of the Bayit Yehudi, which was a child, if you will, of the old Mafdal, the old Mizrahi, what we would call the religious Zionist um, party, the leadership of that party left it to found a new party, a party that is not considered a, will not be a religious party, it will be a Zionist right-wing party with a combination of religious and non-religious people. An equal number, they say, of religious and non-religious people. So, it will be a very, very interesting thing to see, and we're going to analyze for you, coming up, what that means, why they made this decision, and um, what the um, what the possible scenarios are. We're not into predictions, but we'll we'll analyze some scenarios um, that would come as a result. But more importantly, why they did that, and if it if it was a correct thing to do, uh, we will also discuss. We have some nice good news, um, little good news um, segments for later on. We will um, debut a fascinating new version, uh, a cover of uh, the Tefillah L'Shalom Hamdina. It's done to the tune of Eretz Tzvi, which is done very often, but this has a twist, and we'll share that with you a little later. And we'll tell you the amazing story, we'll do that coming up now after the music, of uh, of Georges Lowinger, who passed away at the age of 108 in France. A Jewish hero will tell you what the story is, what he did, and the shock <laughs> that never heard of him. It, it, it's like insane that you had to die at 108 in order to hear about him. We'll have all that and more, plus lots of great Israeli music. Um, this past week, we read the story of Moshe and the Sneh. So here's El Chai Rifu'ah with the song Sneh. My name is Mayor Wangat, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
with Hasne, or Sne, actually, as we just read the story of the Sne Bo'er Ba'ish, Hasne Inenu Uka, we read that in Parshat Shavua two days ago. My name is Mayor Wanga, and you're tuned to the Israel Shandanachim Single Network. Well, we're going to try and explain this to people who are not... Oh, we won't do that now. We'll do that later. Let's do the politics later. Let's do this amazing story first. I'm going to do that, okay? On December 28th, which was uh, three days ago, Georges Loewenger passed away. He was 108 years old and rather healthy up until the very, very end. He was a Jew, French Jew, lived in France his whole life. As you can tell by his age, he went through the Holocaust. He was arrested by the Nazis in 1940 as he was fighting in the French underground. Well... This hero, uh, an amazing, amazing person, obviously, escaped. He escaped from the prisoner of war camp. 
Now, why was he in a prison of war camp rather than in, in a concentration camp, you may ask? Well, he looked, as everybody seems to describe him, he looked Aryan. He did not look Jewish. He had blonde hair, he was thin, he was athletic, and he just had that look, and he was able to somehow, with, with his wits and his look, escape, get, first of all, be put in a prisoner of war camp rather than in a concentration camp, and then escape from that prisoner of war camp, and then he went back and he joined the French resistance. Now all that is, you know, not, not unusual. What makes him different is that he is credited with rescuing 350 Jewish children, single-handedly rescued 350 Jewish children when he was in the French underground. It is unbelievable what he would do. First of all, the fact that he took it upon himself to do this. He just on his own decided that he has to save as many kids as he could. There needs to be a continuation of future. He was operating near the Swiss border, the French-Swiss border. And at that time, that border crossing near where he was was not manned by the Nazis. It was manned by the Italian army. And as Jackie Mason always says, individually they're tough, but put the Italians all together (laughs) and they're not so tough anymore. That was a joke. How did he do this? He had a lot of different tactics that he would use, all kinds of ruses. For example, he said that he would train the children to run, you know, to to, to get themselves in shape. And once he felt that they could run quickly and well, he would tell them, okay, we're going to play ball. They would go near the border. And he, as he tells it, quote, I threw the ball 100 yards toward the Swiss border and told the children to run and get the ball. They ran after the ball. And this is how they crossed the border, meaning to the guards at the border, they looked like just kids playing, and somehow they somehow sneaked through, crossed the border, and disappeared. Then he writes, as we mentioned after that, he says, I'm sorry, after that, the Italians left France and the Germans came in. It became too dangerous to play ball with children like this. <laughs> with the German, we, Germans, we didn't play these games. But he did other things as well. Here's another ruse. He would dress these kids up as mourners, Avelim, and take them to a cemetery whose wall abutted the French side of the border. There's a cemetery that was on the, basically on the border between France and, and Switzerland. With the help of a gravedigger's ladder, the quote-unquote mourners would clamber over the wall and head for the border just a few feet away. And again... The Italian watchmen were not so concerned. They saw children in, more, in clothes of mourning and, and in, in, in the cemetery and it looked like they had the equipment there of the, uh, the grave diggers and so forth and he got away with it. And through all these types of ruses, he managed to save 350 Jewish children. For the life of me, I can't understand how we have not heard this story before. I mean, we've heard of Schindler, of course. We've heard of other people who have saved, rescued Jews about, about Ralph Wallenberg, about uh, um, the uh, Japanese consul, Okihara. I, I don't remember how you pronounce his name. I don't want to mispronounce it. Um, great Hasidei Umota Olam. And somebody said, you know, maybe we, we can appreciate and laud 
the non-Jews who saved Jews, somehow when it's a Jew saving Jews, we, we're somehow, uh, like we take it for granted? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But it doesn't matter. What we have to do is know that this great person lived and uh, has passed away now and uh, just to honor his memory. Interestingly, very interesting, how, how did I hear about this? So when I did a Google search on the name, so a few articles came up now that he passed away. I, I don't think any one of them came up, oh, well, maybe because I did the search in English, so it didn't come up with uh, Hebrew articles. I'm sure there were some, but it wasn't a main, main headlines. But it, we live in an age of celebrity. Everything is about celebrity, right? Gossip columns, gossip shows. turns out that Georges Lowenger is the uncle of Yardena Arazi, the famous Israeli singer, her mother's brother. And when he passed away, she was interviewed in Israel by a few uh, outlets. I heard it on Khan Reshet Bet, uh, Common Lieberman show. And they interviewed and she told the story. She told his amazing story. I wonder if he would not have... I, I, I don't say I wonder. I am pretty sure that if he would not have been the uncle of Yardena Arazi, we would still not hear about this amazing individual. And <laughs> she pointed out, and I, I did see it mentioned in a, one other place, that they are both cousins of the fam- famous French pantomime artist Marcel Marceau, who is Jewish and who also fought in the French underground, in the French resistance movement during World War II and the period of the Holocaust and obviously saved himself and went on to great, um, to great fame as, as a pantomime artist. Wow, we're, we're an amazing people, what can I say? And there are amazing people within our people. Georges Lowenger, let's remember his um, him today and uh, keep in mind a bracha for his memory. And I guess it would be appropriate, would it not, for us to play our Dena Arazi song. Here's uh, one that was very popular back in its day, Od Nagia. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Yardena Arazi, the niece of the person we just spoke about, George Lowenjay. And through her, we heard about his incredible story. Passed away at the age of 108, saved 350 Jewish children during the Holocaust. The Jew himself working in the French Resistance. You know the name Noah Roth? Noah. N-O-A. Noah. In Hebrew, Noah. Nun vav ayin hey. What did I say? N-O-A. I don't remember what I said in English. Noah Roth had a baby. Mazaltov to her and her husband. Reb Daniel Roth is their fourth child. She is 39. I don't have his age. He's a high, he's, he was in high tech or is still in high tech. And they are a Haredi family who lived for many years in America and uh, now live in Israel. Why do I tell you all this? Because we have to wish a mazel tov to the grandfather, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> you see, most people are not aware, are not familiar with this part of, of his story. He was married, This the person he's married to now, Sarah, that's his third marriage. His first marriage was to Dr. Miki Haran, and they had the daughter Noah. Noah became a Baalat Tshuva, started leading a Haredi lifestyle, lived in uh, New York for many, many, many years, married, made Aliyah, according to some reports, lives in Mayasha Arim now. Sadly, due to all kinds of uh, family issues and politic issues and so forth, there doesn't seem to be an ongoing relationship between Prime Minister Netanyahu and his Haredi daughter, but it's pretty amazing if you think about it that the Prime Minister has a Haredi daughter and grandchildren and so we join in wishing uh, in wishing Prime Minister Mazaltov. and if we're wishing Mazaltovs, this is such an interesting story you may be familiar uh, in the States with the, um, with the show Master Chef they have it. Uh, they have an Israeli version of that as well. A reality show called Master Chef, and it's in Hebrew. It's called um, Master Chef. Don't get confused. And it's a tochnit reality. At least there's one Hebrew word in all this tochnit. <laughs> well, uh, this year or this season's. Um, Israeli version of Master Chef, Master Chef Israel, I guess, was won by Esther and Yonatan Mir, a couple from Tzvat, parents of three children who've always dreamt of opening a restaurant. Unfortunately, when they opened one, they had to close it and they were left with big debt, as happens many times. In these situations, very difficult business to be in. Well, last week, the announcement was made on Israeli television. After a very long and um, nail-biting season of MasterChef in Israel, 
Esther and Yonatan Mir came out number one. It's so fascinating. Now, if you look at this couple, he has very long payas, a beard. She's wearing a a big uh, head covering. They look wonderful. And it is just so fantastic to see Israel opening up to more and more as we go on. The, the, the population in Israel that is Haredi who are open to joining general culture and general culture being open to, um, to acknowledging people who look totally Haredi to be a winner on a big a big national reality show. It's a very popular show in Israel. Food in general in Israel is very popular. Cookbooks, cooking shows, everything. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the, there was a story, and I, I found this in, very interesting, because it never comes up outside of Israel. But in Israel, the question is, well, if these are cooking shows, are you allowed to cook something non-kosher? Are you allowed to mix milk and meat, or, or can you use uh, crab, or whatever? And this issue came up. And interestingly, one of the judges does not eat non-kosher food. So how are you going to judge the food if one of the judges doesn't eat non it's not a religious person it's a person who doesn't eat non-kosher food they do not, I don't know if it's for religious reasons uh, they, they'll they eat milk and meat together a combination of milk and meat which is obviously not kosher but they won't eat food a food item that is not kosher like shellfish uh, and, and, and so forth obviously pig um, non-kosher animals and so forth um so this is an issue that's go- it's going to eventually be won out not by a ruling but rather by what the public wants and if there's enough there are enough people in the Israeli public and I think there are that are going to say listen we want the the cooking both in MasterChef and other cooking shows and so forth to be kosher there are enough Masorati people, there are enough people keeping kosher in Israel that would want it to be not obviously and overtly non-kosher, then they would have to bow to it because at the end of the day you're talking about ratings. Uh, unfortunately, those in charge of the television shows are very removed from the Amcha, from, from, from the grassroots. So we'll have to see how that works. But I found it very interesting and wish Mazaltov. Not only to Prime Minister Netanyahu for his grandchild, but also to the couple Esther and, and Yonatan Mir of Tzfat who won the Israeli Master Chef. Okay, after this next musical interlude, we're going to get to the politics. We're going to talk about um, the big split in the religious Zionist camp with um, Bennett and Shaked, Naftali Bennett and Ayala Shaked, the leaders who are. Um, who have split off and started their own party, and uh, we'll try and see what that will mean for the future. Here is something relatively new from Rami Kleinstein. Really nice song, Yafe, Yafa Shebalifkot. You're so beautiful, I feel like crying. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Yafa 
את יפה שבאה לבכות. מזל שלא נכנענו לרוחות, בדרך לצפון, התני והשדות, חולפים על פני ילדותך. השארתי שיר למזכרת בשבילך, החורף שוב יורד תמונות קרות, בוץ בנעליים. של אותיות על השטיח אדום קלניות שלא ראה מי שנכנע
Gotta love it. <laughs> Rami Kleinstein. Very creative and very, very nice melody as well, but just very creative, the whole uh, uh, arrangement of that song. Yafa At Yafa Shabalifkot. It's officially called Yafa Shabalifkot. We post links to the YouTube videos of the songs that we play during the show so that you can listen to them later or whenever you like. And that's on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. We hope you will, um, after taking a listen to us, take a look at that and give us a like. Have a listen, take a look, give us a like. So, historically, from the early days of Zionism, there has been a group that considered themselves religious Zionists. They believed in the return to the land of Israel, some sort also as part of a messianic process. I count myself in as one of those. Some didn't, but it doesn't matter. Either way, they were religious Jews who wanted to be part of the Zionist movement. It created a split within the Jewish religious population back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, where those that affiliated with Agudat Yisrael, relatively new Agudat Yisrael, were against Zionism. Those that affiliated with the Mizrahi, what was called at the time, that was the organization that was started. by Rabbi Rhinus and others in, in Eastern Europe. They joined with the Zionists, and ultimately, when the State of Israel was declared, it was a force to be reckoned with. It was a minority, obviously, but it was a force that, that uh, David Ben-Gurion, when he founded the state, had to taken to account, sitting next to him as he declared the state was the leader of the Mizrahi at the time, Rabbi Maimon. Fishman was his original name. He changed it to Maimon, or Fishman Maimon. And uh, over the years, the the Mizrahi then became the Mafdal, Miflagad, the Title Umit, was up until the 1977 election of Menachem Begin, they were a partner that the left could count on, the Labor Party, that ran the country up until 1977, single-handedly, who never lost an election, always walked hand-in-hand with the Mizrahi. And the Mizrahi walked hand-in-hand with them. In 1967, when Menachem Begin won the election, he needed a coalition, he needed the religious Zionist Mafdal to join him, and the younger members... Zvulun Hamar, Allah Shalom, Yudha Ben Meir, Yibadel Chaim Arukim, and others pushed the party to go to the right, which was very much of a revolution against the old guard. And so that is when you saw the beginning of the Mizrahi, the religious Zionists, shift from being a more dovish left wing party, which it was, people forget that to starting to be a more right-wing party, as supporters of the new Gush Emunim movement at the time was new, 73, 74, and this is now 77. And 
slowly but surely, the Mafdal became associated more and more with the Mityashvim of Yehudan Shamron, the settlers who who built up and lived in Yehudah Shamron and at that time Aza, and uh, slowly but surely evolved from being on the left to being very much on the right. And there were many... Uh, many iterations, if you will, of, of this party that started off as Mizrahi and then was called Maftal and then was called something else, I don't remember in the interim. And the party went from being as large as 14 seats in the Knesset to, uh, at, at its heyday, I think, what, that was the highest that they got, to being as low as three. It just had no leadership, it was floundering. And two election cycles ago, about 10 years ago, Uri Orbach, Zichronoli Vracha, a giant of a man who left us too early, Uri Orbach, was chosen to be a member of the Knesset, and he, in in return, he went and um, approached Naftali Bennett, and he said, I, Uri Orbach, I don't want to be the head of the party. I, w- I need a young, charismatic, energetic person to lead the... Um, lead this party, and Naftali Bennett, who was an entrepreneur who made a fortune in high-tech and had devoted himself at that point already to politics. He was actually involved in the Likud, and he had a um, an associate who worked with him very well. Her name was Ayala Chaked. They both came and joined what was then called the Bayit HaYehudi. The interesting aspect here was that Ayelot Shaked was uh, was not orthodox. And it was a, a bit strange that here the Bayit HaYehudi, which is the religious Zionist party, is having someone not orthodox join the leadership of the party. And, and people were a little surprised, but they accepted it. And they did very well. In the first election that Naftali Bennett stood at the head, they did very well. I think they had 12, uh, 12 seats. But in the next election, they had eight. And ultimately, what happened was, Naftali Bennett who, who, and Ayelachek had both have their sights a lot higher than the Bayit Hayudi. They see their role as being a lot more central. And, and Naftali Bennett has said openly, he wants, eventually, after Netanyahu, he wants to be prime minister. You can't do that if you're the head of a sectoral party, a party that is uh, associated with one small portion, minority portion of the public, of the population in Israel. And more so when he tried at the last election to bring a few more Misorati people, big names who were not Shomer Shabbat, but were traditional the party just bucked because there is within that party a faction of what, what they call Hardal, Hardalim. They are Haredi Leumi. They are Haredi in religion, but they are still Zionist. Rav Cook, um, Rav Cook, uh, most, America's Rav Cook uh, style, Talmidei Shivat America's and others. And they were holding him back from taking the party to a place that they felt it shouldn't go, which was to be more open to non-religious uh, people. Naftali Bennett's whole idea was to get more people to come to this party, that the party would ultimately be a party that would attract 
a, from a larger pie. If the pie is only religious Zionists, then you're very limited. And so, it, ultimately, it was inevitable that if he wanted to continue to his, toward his goal, Bennett and Shaked, that he would have to break away from this party that was limiting him. And they did it on Motzei Shabbat because uh, a technicality in Israel, typical uh, Israel election law technicality, that if you want to split your um, your group and and uh, create a new party, and you want to get the monies that the that the, in, according to the law you are entitled to for the elections, you have to do it within uh, what was it within a certain amount of time of when the elections were declared. And so that was, they had, I think, three days left with to do it, and so they that's why they had to do it. And Motzei Shabbat was a very unusual time to have that kind of uh, press conference and uh, an announcement. They claim that this is the first time it's happened. I don't know why other people are not bringing up what I remember, Mifleget HaTchiyah, which was a, a combination of... Um, Religious and non-religious. They claim it's the first time that there was such a combination. Uh, people uh, back then, like Moshe Shamir, Gula Cohen, got together with uh, Hanan Parat and Eliezer Waldman and um, had a party. So, I don't mean a party party. You know what I mean, right? I hope. Um, so, uh, it may not be new, but where is it going? It's going, it's trying to attract people and they're they're saying very openly we are the new right we are on the right wing but we think netanyahu while we think netanyahu did a great job for israel and created a, 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 a really a powerhouse israel is now a powerhouse in the world but he's left the right and that's true he promises he speaks nicely and everything but at the end of the day during the last 10 years, he, he, he building up Israel into this powerhouse, at the end of the day, he does not do things that are that the right wing in Israel believe need to be done. And the latest example is is um, uh, the the area near Maledumim Khan al Ahmar, which which is a totally illegal. Town that was created by Arabs on Israeli land that the court has approved that it has to be removed. Just like the illegal, quote unquote, illegal Jewish towns like Amona that the court claimed had to be moved, they were moved. Here, Khan al Ahmar, which is an illegal Arab town, is not moved. And Bibi. Prime Minister Netanyahu chickens out time and time again. He claims, makes big statements, we're going to build a thousand this and a thousand that all over Yudan, Shemron, and Maladu. And at the end of the day, it all ends up being nothing. The mountain to the molehill. But he makes noises like he's on the right. Comes Bennett and says, we're the real right. And it could be that he will schlep with him many, many voters. Either they're going to now vote which they didn't in the past because they felt that they had no one to vote for because they didn't trust Netanyahu. Or many of those who feel that Netanyahu is going to be indicted and then what's going to happen. So let's have uh, let's have um, Bennett. And if Bennett wins 
enough seats, six, seven, eight, Bennett and Shaked, Shaked and Bennett, if they win enough seats, they could be the switch that Netanyahu needs to be turned on to make sure that he does the things that he says he's going to do. If Netanyahu is just going to let the people in Aza protest every Friday and go come over the border and, and shoot and have the Hamas shoot rockets into Israel on one particular day in the hundreds and not do anything, and ultimately Avigdor Lieberman has to resign because he feels that Israel is being too weak and not showing enough strength and not putting Israel in a situation where the Arabs are going to be afraid of her, Bennett needs to be in a position where he can threaten to leave the government if Netanyahu doesn't give him the defense ministry, which he could not do when he was part of the Bayi Yehudi. So, basically, he tries to cater, he tries to get votes from a much wider public. He's no longer defined as a religious party, and so that's not his main issue. His main issue is being a right-wing handcuff, some say, or or um, shield of Benjamin Netanyahu, making sure that he doesn't go too far to the left. The problem with this is, and, and that that's the positive. What's the problem? The problem is that this could spell the end of the classic Mizrahi Maftal, what is now called the Bayit Yehudi. Because the threshold of votes that you need to get in an Israeli election to make it into the Knesset is a little more than 4% of the vote. Which is four Knesset members. You have to be able to get enough votes for four Knesset members in order to even get in. And if you don't, let's say you get enough votes for three and a half Knesset members, all the votes in many cases go to waste. It could be they could be saved in some way, but many, many cases go to waste. And that's what happened with Eli Ishai in the last election, where he almost made it, but he didn't, and all those votes, all those religious Zionist votes went away. So it could be that Eli Yishai and his group and others will join with the Bayt Yehudi, form a strong religious Zionist base, and hopefully get votes from, from their sector. And Naftali ben Ayel Chaked will be able, hopefully, to get votes that were not voting for the religious Zionists and, um, and get enough seats to, to make a difference. The most important thing is not to have the left in power, obviously. But if the right, as in Prime Minister Netanyahu, ends up adopting policies, not stating so, but adopting policies of the left, you need someone on the right to pull him to pull him back. And the worst case scenario is that both parties don't make it. And then all those votes are gone. So there's a lot to think about. And uh, we shall continue to follow the elections. We'll try and bring you uh, analysis every week, although we know that there are a lot of people who are not so into it. So we're trying to mix it up. Let's see. We're almost done. Yeah. Another... um,
You know what? Let's go to some music and then we'll close out the show. What should we do now? I don't know. I have a lot of things that I could do here, but um, we've got to figure out which one is good. How about this? Geshem Geshem, which is um, Avner Strauss and Dindin Aviv. It's a very cool song. Geshem Geshem. It's from Hakarnaf Hashinishi Derech. My name is Mayor Wangat, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. in Israel, and it's happening in Israel, Geshem Geshem, that was Avner Strauss and Dindin Aviv, and we're going to close out with um, Yonatan Razel and Bell's Pogesh Tizmoret, not before we say thank you to everybody, but even before that, 
I have to share with you this great line that our listener Moshe, very active listener on our comments, and uh, we thank him for that. Uh, very interesting um, comments always. So he he we spoke about Prime Minister Netanyahu's daughter from his first marriage, Noah, who is Chazrabet uh, Shuvan. She is Charedit, and she just had a child. So uh, Moshe says, you know, I can only imagine that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu sitting with Donald Trump says, boy, I have such crazy legal problems, and my daughter won't eat in my house. And and uh, President <laughs> Trump says, yeah, I understand. I have the same problems. <laughs> very cool. That's very smart. Thank you. We're going to end off, as we said, Bells Pogesh Tizmort, but we first say thank you for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the Nachum Siegel Net. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Yoni Pollock usually comes up next on the Nachum Siegel Network, but this week he is off in Israel, thank God, for a simcha, even better, in Israel and for a simcha. So uh, the stream will take over when we end, and then an hour later, Novik now with Jake Novak, who always has an amazing show. You should tune in. After that, the great Monday Music Marathon continues. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie Dam, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Thank you.